Of course, the crowd wants Reed to go for it. Wouldn't be surprised if he did on fourth down and one. So, anyways, with that time, George. Welcome to fourth and one. Nick, put the potato salad down. Dude, I'm God. sorry, man. That's good. <laughs> it's not Gates good. Gates is the best potato salad I've ever had. Outside of my mom's. Yeah, I think we usually get like a grocery store brand. Well, that's actually what I'm eating right now, but it's not it's not it's not on Gates level. I'm just saying Gates is uh Gates is it's one of the premiums in my book, that and their macaroni salad. If they if they sold that at stores, I would buy a lot of it. Yeah. I'd give them a lot of my money. Yeah. Do you ever eat like actual salads with lettuce and stuff? Yeah, no, I do that too. That happens. <laughs> Look at that you happens every healthy. day. I'm look trying. At, look at us. We, we're getting older and healthier. Yeah, I don't know about that because I mean, it looks like you know, looks like I got, a, I got an in-ground pool for my salad with all the dressing <laughs> I put on it. So that doesn't really, it probably doesn't help. No. Probably frowned upon. Probably lost sodium in that. I got to be honest. I think we set a record today for how quickly a fourth and one podcast went off the rails. Look, I'm sorry. You bring up potato salad. I've got a passion for it. Who knew? I'm gonna break it. I'm gonna break it down and analyze it, just like I do everything else in my life. Yeah, That's probably why I'm still single. Can you still flip your hips after you eat all that potato salad? You know, I mean, not not in a speedy manner. That's for sure. All right. So you're not going to be a cornerback, but yes. welcome to Fourth and One. Uh, I'm Todd Palmer, joined by Nick Jacobs, and we are going to talk secondary prospects in the 2022 NFL Draft and players that we think would be the best fits uh, and when they might be uh, available for the chiefs to target them. Are you down with that kind of conversation or would you talk more about like sides? I mean, other than potato salad, I do want to talk about everybody keeps asking about the Debo Samuel thing. I mean, not everybody. My mom hasn't asked me about it. Technically <laughs> neither. Is... My wife hasn't either. She, she did. She was like, <laughs> she's, she's like, why did they trade Tyree kill? And I, <laughs> You know, kind of explained it to her. She yeah. has not asked about DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, or Debo Samuel. Though. Well, I mean, you know, Angie has a lot going on in her life that you know she's got she got a lot of irons, a lot of fires. You know, maybe we shouldn't follow suit at some point. <laughs> but I, you and I, I think are in lockstep and are thinking on this. Um, I'm never I, in lockstep with you. That I sounds like, like somebody's connected. And it sounds close to a hug. So I will never <laughs> ever be near that. But I, I think you and I share the same thought on the prospect of um, packaging a bunch of the newly acquired picks and sending them uh, to San Francisco for Debo Samuel or to any other team for any other established uh, wide receiver. Um, and uh, I mean, look, I, I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say, but I feel like this is going to be a, a nice little rant. So, I mean, would you trade a, a first you know like a raft of three picks or something to san francisco for debo samuel tomorrow todd why are you gonna get me all riled up after my, eating my potato salad man <laughs> that's my me time bro <laughs> um now look i get that everybody likes the new shiny receiver that's gonna come out there um and i'm not saying debo samuel is not talented but they have like his what he does skill set wise like they've already got that on the roster like that's kind of that's kind of, it comes in different variations with the guys that they got. There's some parts of his game that fit with Juju Smith-Schuster. There's some parts of his game that fit with McCole Hardman. There's some parts of his game that fit with Valdez Scantling. I mean, at the end of the day, though, like, you're not, if you were going to, like, here's, here's the two things on the Tyreek Hill part. If you were going to pay Tyreek Hill, 
like, and they were going to pay him a certain amount. I think they were going to go about 25 per year. And I think that's where they were going to stop that well. But obviously it went over that and they had to move on from that. But I mean, if you're one, you'd have to look at how their health, is, how his health is, how the physical would look, how it would turn out, what the projection is on that regard. Because I know with Miles Jack, I know there was some that were concerned about his knee whenever he was coming out of the draft. And with Tyreek Hill, I mean, um, you know, with Tyreek Hill, he, he has that heel thing pop up all the time. And he's, he has little more, uh, he has minor injuries that keep popping up more and more each year right now. So it's getting to a point where he's at that age, man, where, I mean, I'm not trying to speak this in existence, knock on wood, but say you gave Tyreek Hill $30 million per year and you're on the hook for it for at least three to four years. Say he has an Achilles issue. Say he has an ACL issue, PCL, MCL, and guess what? You invested $30 million and you're kind of locked into that for a certain amount of time until, you know, and you're getting a player that may not be the same guy who's purely based on having those ligaments and uh, intact. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, that's why you kind of have to, you know, weigh the cost versus risk and reward and structure of a contract to decide if you're willing to put yourself in that position um, to where, you know, you, you have that issue. Cause I mean, think about Chris Jones last year, Chris Jones is making a lot of money, but guess what? I mean, he's had the, he had the wrist issue and then he had the groin injury. So we'll see how that goes this year and, and, and how healthy he can be throughout the year. And then if he's not, I mean, that's, you know, in some ways that could be a sunken cost. So, I mean, that's just kind of the things you have to weigh in that. And I'm at a point right now where, you know, you have a lot of picks, use those to replenish your roster for the next three to four years and kind of get guys that are, young and fresh coming out of college. And if you have the coaching staff and a good scouting department that can identify, and then the coaching staff that develops them, then it, you know, you don't necessarily need to go find guys who are already established. You can establish them and create your next window. So, I mean, that's why I'm, I'm like, no, don't go get Debo Samuel. Don't go get DK Metcalf. Don't go pay $25 million. Cause you're just playing a game of whack-a-mole to where you're just moving, you know, you're just moving that money around whenever you honestly just need to get, cheaper players when you need to develop those guys. And if you can't develop those guys then you got to have coaches that actually can develop them, but that's what you have to find out. And you have to give the opportunity for that to happen. I mean, here's the thing. Most NFL evaluators will tell you that if a team can get three long-term starters um, out of a draft, they have struck gold, right? Right. If you get four, you're, you're on fire. Um, and, and if you look at NBA James on fire, or oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like can't miss, like heat check, you know, completely. Like at that point, you just you just start drafting guys you had a seventh round grade on, and assuming they're going to be all pros in the first round because you just can't miss anymore. Um, if you look at the draft history, um, you know, I mean, look, Brett Veach's first draft was 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 not great. I mean, you got Derek Nottie and not a whole lot else out of that draft. Name, um, name but, the draft class. Class off real quick for everybody. So it was Breland Speaks, Derek Nadi, Dorian O'Daniel, Armani Watts, Tremont Smith, and Khalil McKenzie. So so you got Derek Nadi. That's all you got in 2018. That's still uh, on the roster too. Right. No, I mean, I mean, you got one starter, but that's not the three that you're hoping for in a given year. But if you look at 2019, you got McCall Hardman Jr., Juan Thornhill, Rashad Fenton, and then you've still got Colin Saunders and Allegretti on the roster. If you look at 2020, you got starters in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, 
Willie J Willie Gay Jr. Uh, Lucas Niang, if you want to count him as a starter, but, but also Legereus Sneed. And then you've also got Mike Dana still on the, on the roster and, you know, and then Bo Pete keys didn't work out, but, and of course, last year you got Nick Bolton, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith. Um, in addition to, you know, who knows what Noah Gray or, or Josh Kane were going to become. Those guys were developmental from the beginning. And it's probably too early to, to determine whether they're going to be a value moving forward, but they've done a good job. They, they've shown that they have, have in, in the last three years have, have kind of developed an ability to. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think you look at that and by, by the standard by which drafts are typically judged, you would say that the chiefs have done a good job in terms of bringing in talent this year. They've got way more draft picks. They have a, an incredible chance to add not just three or four, but but maybe five or six legitimate impact guys, um, you know, moving forward, depending on how, how things shake out and how the draft breaks down. That's not a bad thing. If that's the way it goes, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, no, I agree. That's, that's why I'm really, for right now, I'm cautiously excited about this draft because anytime I get really excited about something, I get let down. You know, that may just be me hyping stuff up in life sometimes, but um no, I was pretty hyped up about Patrick Mahomes. I worked out really well. So yeah, I, uh, yeah. You know, that was at a bad time in my life <laughs> when, the, you know, no. when that happened. So it wasn't as, you know, wasn't as happy go lucky at that moment. Um, but now, I mean, like, yeah, this is this is why this is so big. This draft, this shows what the Chiefs scouts are made of, and this shows what Brett Beach is made of, and this shows this is going to show over the next two to three years what the coaching staff's made of. They can they can turn this roster into something that. Like the, like I like we've talked about before. This is the this is the year that if you hit on this, the AFC West and the AFC they went all in, they went all in to try to stop what you were. So if you pivot and you turn it into something that they aren't expecting, you've got the core roster, and if you hit it right, you've you've got you've got the roster that uh, takes that window to another five to six years, and like the other teams are going to have problems being able to keep up with that amount of youth and that amount of ability if you hit correctly on them. Yeah. No, I mean, this could be... Take them to charge, Todd. Yeah, pa- I mean, Patrick Mahomes was a transformative draft pick, but this could be transformative in a completely different way in terms of... Um, and, and look, I, I get that people wish they had been more active in free agency in terms of the defense and stuff like that, but if they get three starters, you know, if they get a starter, you know... Uh, three starters on the defense out of this draft, they're going to be just fine. They're, you know, I, I, I still, the people who are trying to judge this roster today are doing so without a complete picture of what the roster is going to look like. And, and which is just foolish. I mean, you need to see what's going to happen next week before you can start to make any kind of judgments about what this roster is, what the ceiling for this team is. And, And I'll tell you this, I am going to take my chances with a, with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid more often than not. All right. I mean, I know everybody's scared of the schedule and they're like, oh, the Chiefs are going to have it. There are going to be teams on that schedule that we assume are going to be good this year that because of injuries or because of underperformance or because a new head coach, you know, doesn't mesh well with the personnel or for whatever reason, there are teams that ex- are expected to be good. Cleveland, I'm looking at you every year um, that just underperform. It's a fact of the matter. Will this. Will it be the Chiefs' turn this year? Maybe, maybe. But I still think when you've got Patrick Mahomes on the roster and you've got 
a coaching staff with Spagnolo and Reed and guys the caliber and with the track record they have, I'm going to take my chances that they're going to be able to figure out um, how to score more points than the other team on most Sundays. That's just that's just a fact of the matter. Can you can you technically underperform though if the Chargers are going to win the AFC West according to look just media they've already, and people have already written you off. They've won it three years in a row, so of course the Chargers are the favorites to win it again. Um, you know, I mean, when's the last time the Chargers didn't win the AFC West, Nick? I'm just saying, man. I mean, you can't really underperform if people don't expect you to perform. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, I mean, they've been the paper champions for a while, and I get it. They've made a lot of splashy moves. Oh, I was um, talking about the Chiefs, not the Chargers. <laughs> I'm yeah. saying, can the Chiefs really underperform if 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 people are not expecting them to be able to perform? Right. I mean, they're they're yeah, they're the fourth best team in the division. I mean, didn't you hear uh, Denver got they're, Russell? They're a lost cause because Tyreek Hill's gone. Like, they yeah, just, Denver, they just Denver got Russell. Might as well pack Wilson. up the circus tent, not even show up for the draft yeah, there, or anything. There's no there's no chance. Um, now, I, I just you know, I mean, Josh McDaniel and Devontae Adams are in Las Vegas. I mean, they're clearly a better team. I mean, wouldn't who, who wouldn't I mean, Derek Carr is going to be the MVP of the league this year. Haven't you heard David Carr say that for four years? But what I what I think is going to be funny in, in some ways, and again, I'm not wishing this into existence, but I am saying this, and I have thought this personally and told you privately, if Tyreek Hill did get hurt down in Miami, like, you know how you know quick it's going to turn on a dime? Oh, the Chiefs were smart. They traded him away before... Oh, the Dolphins invested $30 million a year in him. Oh, look at the Chiefs. They're so savvy because they did this. Well, they got ridiculed all offseason for getting rid of their best weapon in a lot of people's opinions. Yeah. No, it's just going to be funny how it's going to turn on a dime and they're going to act like they never said all those things and debated that because they weren't looking at maybe, hey, there may be some other pieces of the puzzle that happen down the road that maybe they're, maybe they're concerned about or it may just end up happening out of pure luck type of thing. Yeah. No, it, it, I mean... Look, I like I said, I, I we are a long way from playing games in this league. But if I'm a betting man, I'm, I'm betting on Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid over Josh McDaniel and uh, Derek Carr over you know Russell Wilson and you know Matt Lafleur's understudy over over you know Mister Fourth Down and and Justin Herbert, who I think is going to be a great quarterback in this league but still needs to get a team to the playoffs and get his career record above 500 before I'm going to anoint him as the best quarterback in the AFC West. All right, Todd, I think it's time for some draft talk, draft talk, right? Look, I mean, I, we've said all along, like D end and wide receiver are probably the two biggest needs. But when you look at the roster, I actually think outside of defensive end, that cornerback might be the mo- the second most deficient roster position like position group on this roster. Um when you look at the additions of, of Markel's Marquez Marquez Valdez Scantling, uh Juju Smith Schuster and and McCole Hardman coming back in a contract year. Uh, look, I and then you look at you've got what Rashad Fenton, Legarius Sneed, and then and then not much else. Like I I think cornerback is actually a much uh, is is maybe the second biggest need on this team. Yeah, I mean, I I think edge rusher is probably edge rusher and edge rusher is one without question. I'm not saying corner and safety aren't in the top five. Though. Like you, you, I would like to see him address it so I can feel better. Um, yeah. I feel a little bit easier and sleep better at night, Todd. I am not sleeping well because of all this concern. No, I mean, like they they lost Traverius Ward. That's a big loss. He got a big payday from San Francisco. Congratulations to him. 
Um, probably not a, again, not a salary. Um, you know, just like the Tyreek Hill contract was too rich for the Chiefs' blood. I, I think the money that Charvarius Ward got was justifiably too rich for the Chiefs' blood in this situation. Um, and that's not to say I'm disappointed that you know Charvarius was a good was a good player. Um, he's a great story to go from, you know, um, you know his his background, his track record, and, and you know, and get hit the payday that he did. But I I I don't think either one of us. You can check the tape. We're advocating that they um, throw that kind of money at Charvarius Ward. But I do think in the first two rounds of this draft, the Chiefs have to address the secondary, and I think that that could even be a first round pick. Um, you know, I mean, depending on how the ball board falls, depending on what wide receivers and defensive ends are available, I think corner and maybe safety are on the short list of picks in play there in the first round. So if the Chiefs do end up going with a corner in the first round, um, you know, who who do you think they could target? Who would be a good fit there? And and to be clear, are, are we do you care if it's a guy who who is a slot do you, or the, the bigger need is boundary corners at this point, right? Yeah, no, you need boundary corners. You don't need you don't need slot corners. I mean, you've got Legarius, you've got Fenton. You need, you need to, they can all do that. You need guys that can play outside and that can be lockdown type guys. Yeah, I need guys above six feet that can be able to push a, push a defender down to the boundary. Yeah. So to be clear, I mean, that's going to rule out some guys because there are some quality cornerbacks that are 5'10", you know, 5'8", in some cases, that, you know, in this year's draft. Um, and they're, they're probably not guys that are going to be high on the chiefs radar given, you know, what they've already got on the roster. Yeah. So, I mean, for first guy for me that I think is going to be in play for him is going to be Elam from Florida. I, yeah. I like his size. It's an ideal size for the chiefs and what they're going to need in their future corners. Um, I think he's going to be physical with receivers. I liked how comfortable he was in trail position and still had the ability to close at the right moment to make the deflection and not, not be grabby, not hold on people. I, I really like that about him. Um, he's got a little hitch in his quarter turn whenever he does that. But again, he makes up for it with his closing speed. I, I thought he tracked really well and I thought he put himself in good position to make plays on the ball. So, and I, I just liked his mentality and his attitude overall. So I thought he played a lot like the way the Chiefs want their corners to play, but isn't, isn't very grabby and kind of trust his skill set and his technique. So he was kind of the top guy that I liked about who was potentially available for the Chiefs. Right. I mean, sauce Gardner's going to be long gone before the chiefs are on the board. I think Derek Stingley jr. Even if he falls, I don't think he falls much past the top 10 or 12. No. Um, and I don't see that if the chiefs are going up, I still think it's for a D end or a wide receiver and not for a corner. So um, Stingley's not part of that group. What about a guy like Andrew Booth jr. Or, um, you know, Kyler Gordon out of Washington, if either one of those guys, you know, end up sliding into that range, or, you know, do they fit or would you still take Kyir Elam out of Florida over, over either one of those guys? Um, I mean, I like Elam personally. I mean, with Booth, he's, uh, I, I think he, I think he sells in zone coverage. And I know it, it seems like he likes to read defenders when they're in front of him and then drive on the ball. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, he'll take off running with him if he, if he can decipher the route. I mean, his, you know, his style of tackling is crashing upfield and taking the ball carrier's legs out. I mean, he does have promising athletic ability, but he's going to need to work on his press and deciphering um, sooner the route combinations. And especially in that chief scheme, he's really going to need to know that a lot quicker than what he does right now. And coming off hernia surgery, 
I know that that was kind of a knock on on him in terms of some concern that people have. I know, I know Gordon. Uh, so you, you mentioned Gordon, right? Yeah, Kyler Gordon. Yep. Yep. So with Gordon, I mean, he he does well in man coverage. Yeah, I mean, he looks comfortable reacting to receiver and adjusting the route. He has, you know, he, he has some hesitancy with zone coverage at times. So that, that's something that the Chiefs will have to tweak and everything. I, I liked his arm length, and I thought he had good arms to kind of slow the, the receivers down and kind of feel receivers out on the routes without being too grabby about it. I thought he's capable of uh, being physical and run support. I think he's still learning how to see and drive on routes, which, you know, if you're going to be in zone coverage, it's going to be a struggle for you on that regard. And at, at times it seemed like if he has to read multiple things, like the Chiefs kind of do with some of their pattern matching, I, I think it overwhelms them. So I think those are going to be kind of, those are going to kind of be the knocks on him to where they would have to play more man than zone with him. And I, I'm curious to see what type of balance like Spagnolo and them kind of want in the corners that they end up drafting. Yeah, you you know you got Trent McDuffie there too. I I, I don't think he's probably going to fall far you know, into the Chiefs range. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I, I to me, I think unless one of those guys falls unexpectedly, I think Elam's probably the guy in the first round. Is there anybody else though um, in the you know that you think could be um, a sleeper to move up into that round? I mean, I. 29 or 30 just seems too high for Roger McCreary out of Auburn or, or guys like that. And, um, you know, I, I, I just, I think if they go cornerback in the first round, it seems like Kyrie Elam's the sweet spot for that. Yeah. That's, that's what I believe. That's, that's where the door shuts. Once he's off the board, that shuts the first round door. Yeah. It's shut. Uh, now, <laughs> huh? The door's shut now. Okay. So let me ask though. Okay. I mean, all those guys are, are, are pretty elite players but you know the guys farther down are going to have have whether it's size whether it's different things like that what are the traits you're looking for in a boundary corner because the chiefs do uh you know they're they're pretty multiple with the way they play those boundary corners you know they've got to be able to press but they've also got to be able to to pattern match and, and play some zone concepts at times um so what are you looking for trait wise, you know, farther down. Cause I, I don't think they're going to, even if they draft Kyrie Elam in the first round, I don't think they're going to be done adding corners. Um, certainly if they make 12 picks in this draft. So what are some, some traits and maybe some guys who have those traits later in the draft that you think um, could intrigue the chiefs? I mean, from a trade perspective, I think they want guys who have, uh, if they do, if they do have long arms, I think it's going to be more favorable for them. They can allow them to kind of press and, and ha- have a natural ability with that regard and don't panic whenever they're not in perfect position every time, or maybe they're a little bit behind and how they're chasing after somebody. I think that that's, that's a big part of it. I think, the, I think they, they like the mental makeup of players and I think they really like physical tacklers and run support and in the run game. I think that's a big part of what they're, what they're after. So any guy that I end up picking and especially my favorites, I think exemplify a lot of that. And I think as long as they, as long as they trust the player to be able to have the work ethic to uh, to be able to get up to that level on some of that, but then also, you know, have have it to a certain extent to where they know that they're a smart football player that will work, that'll take the work, have the work ethic to be able to improve their craft and their game, like a lot of their corners do, and th- and if they do, they end up seeing the field. So that's that's where I think the the chiefs kind of try to lock in on is the so mental who, who, makeup with some athletic ability. So who were 
some guys that are maybe second, third, fourth round grades that you think the Chiefs could target, um, you know, even if they get Elam or especially if they miss out on corners in that first round? Yeah, so I mean, like you said, Roger McCreary from Auburn, is he's he would be kind of up there on that list for me. I thought he shined as a physical press cover corner. I liked how competitive he was as a corner that he'll give effort no matter what the scoreboard shows. That was really big to me, and I think that'll be big to the Chiefs. Um, he treats every play like it decides the game. So, you know, I, I appreciated that about him, and he just doesn't panic. He trusts his technique to make the right play. So I thought that was really impressive with him. My, he's going to be one of my favorite guys is Kobe Bryant from Cincinnati. Um, I really, really liked what Kobe. I saw from him. Yeah. Yes, Todd, that all. He, he was named after like the, the late, great Kobe Bryant. So yes. And I, I bet he's going to get a lot of that in his future here. So I think he's already just immune to, uh, just got to just got to wear it. Yep. 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 Um, but I, I thought, I thought Kobe Bryant really shined with his, uh, vertical leap. He's able to climb the ladder on some of the deflections that he, you know, you don't think he's going to be able to, and he does. I thought he's really comfortable in man. Uh, I thought he was capable of turning and running without having any issue. I think he trusts the speed and the ability to put himself in good position and force a deflection, make a play, give himself good leverage. I, th- I thought he did all that, so that that really kind of shined with me. Um, Cam Taylor Britt from Nebraska. I thought he brought a really physical presence. He'll lay the wood and run support. He he. He he lays the wood on blitzes and he's able to separate the ball from the receiver. He'll he'll need to work on connecting with some of his presses. And I think that'll but the, he's got stuff that's coachable. Um, but he has acceleration to make up and trail position, so that's a big one. And, and he's able to turn on another gear when he's able to track the football and chase it down. And he can also, you know, he 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 can he can be a returner, he can block kicks. And, you know, I saw, I noticed he's had some reps at safety for some of the games I watched, and he also played at slot and outside corner. So the fact I noted that, I, I was like, well, the Chiefs love versatility at the right. at the secondary position. So I was like, I think he'll be higher on their board than people realize. So that was uh, that was another individual that I I, uh, I was impressed with. Uh, Jermaine Waller from Virginia Tech, I thought he had the ability to undercut a route. And, man, I thought he was able to make plays on, on the football. I thought his vertical was solid. Um, I felt like his bigger problem is going to be when he goes up against the, against the nine route or a fade route, he keeps his back to the ball and to read the receiver. And that's going to get him in trouble in the league when he faces like a Jamar chase or some guy that doesn't give away those, those keys. So that'll be something he's going to have to work on, but I mean, he's willing to be physical and run support and he's got a knack for finding the football. So, I mean, that was, that was another individual. I got a, I got a couple more guys, but I didn't know if you had some thoughts that you wanted to put out there. It seemed like you might. Um, no, I mean, I think, you know, like, like you said, I mean, a lot of people list uh, Cam Taylor Britt as a safety. Like, they feel like that's going to be where his home is in, in the league moving forward. What makes you feel like he could be a boundary corner in the Chiefs system? Again, just all, all the things that I said. I mean, he's he's got that physical size. He's, he's good in run support, all those type of things. So, I mean, all those things add up to being a quality corner. Yeah. I mean, there are other guys out there like Zion McCollum, Sam Houston. You know, he's got insane size, um, six four. You know, you've got guys like Tariq Woolen. Um, you know, Josh Job out of Alabama. It, you know, are there are those guys just too you know better fit for like a, a pr- primarily zone scheme, or, or what are what are some of the reasons that some of those other names that that are probably you know top ten corners in the draft maybe you don't think are a great fit for the Chiefs. 
No, I mean Josh Job. I have down on here. I thought I thought I thought you had some things to add on the pod, so I took a break from listing everything off. <laughs> um, look, with Job, Job's a, f- a physical press corner. He can open up his hips a little, opens up his, his hips a little too early at times, but he's capable of playing both man and zone. Uh, I thought he's willing to have a physical presence on blitzes and run support, so I think that can fit. Not necessarily as a boundary corner. Maybe maybe it have to be a slot. Maybe a dime. I don't know. Maybe nickel. We'll see. Um, Alante Taylor from Tennessee. I thought he had top end acceleration. He's able to what I call click and close. I mean, you know, Taylor's capable of recovering on a route and driving on the football. He's able to battle through run blocks and, and be able to make a tackle the line of scrimmage. Taylor's also a long leaking corner. And I think he could pr- provide a nice challenge for taller receiver receivers like Traverse Ward did. So I, I really liked him. Um, like you said, Zion McCollin from Sam Houston state. I thought, I thought he had fantastic size, and I thought it showed on the tape. He's a physical corner that'll be that will happily reroute a receiver and then stay in their hip pocket. I thought he was a physical tackler that refused to let a ball carrier get past him. He'll sell out to stop them and force a fumble. I thought McCollin had the necessary mentality to be a successful chief, and he also does a solid job tracking the ball, adjusting accordingly to it, and put himself in better position leverage-wise. Um, Next guy on the list I had was Joshua Williams from Fayetteville State. Williams has ideal size for the kind of caliber receivers you're starting to see in the NFL with the Mike Williams, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins style. And I thought in um, in Gabriel Davis, too, I need to start putting him in that list. I mean, he played Division II, but he dominated the competition, which is what you need to see from a guy at that level. And with his size, speed, and overall athletic ability, I I thought Williams had a serious acceleration ability to close that really jumped out on tape, which has to whenever you're doing that. Um, Jalen Amore Davis from Alabama. He's a really smart zone coverage corner, and he's he's more than capable of doing man coverage with his athletic ability. Um, He sees the routes in front of him really well and stays disciplined to his assignment. He's able to read the quarterback and route at the same time and put himself in better position than the receiver is at times. He runs the route better than some receivers. Uh, when he's covering them and he's willing to come out and tackle and run support. And he's, he's got a really good nose for the football. And then um, next guy on the list I had was Ma, uh, Montre Brown from Arkansas. I thought he had really good arm length. He can be a little grabby at times from the corner position. So they'd have to be able to kind of throttle that back some, but I mean, he's physical in the press. He's comfortable in zone coverage. He reads the routes and is able to read the quarterback really well. I thought Brown, I thought he was very physical and run support with the way he tackles thought he had a knack for creating turnovers too, just like McCullough did. And he understands leverage and, and positioning really well. And that's, a, that's another thing as a corner guys who can do that really kind of, they kind of do um, another one of my favorite guys, uh, Damari Mathis from Pittsburgh. Yeah. I, <clears> like love, I love Mathis. I mean, Mathis, he plays such a physical style of corner, such a physical brand. I mean, you know, like he's physical with his press. He's even more physical delivering, you know, the presence on his hits. I mean, Mathis is capable athletically working inside and out. Um, he's got the acceleration. He's got fluid hips. He can be a little bit aggressive and, and needs a good cornerback coach to help him clean up some of the technique and jumping on some routes at times and also avoiding grabbing once he's been beaten at the line. Um, but, man, he's an impressive athlete that, that, I mean, he would bring such a physical brand to that secondary for the Chiefs as a press corner that um, – and zone coverage wise he like i said earlier he bites on the eye candy and so if he gets properly coached i think that could that could go a long way for somebody like him yeah he's a guy i the 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 one the the biggest concern i have you know other than like you said that some of the technique stuff is 
is he going to be penalty prone in the league? Um, but I mean, Charverius had his share of penalties and still, you know, played well enough to be on a, on a, you know, on a winning team for the chiefs. I, I um, he's got the size and the physicality that frankly, I think the chiefs have lacked at that position in recent years. So he's a guy, if he's there in the, you know, at, at one twenty one or one thirty five, and, and you're still looking to address corner and they call Damari Mathis out of Pittsburgh. Like, um, I don't know if I'm going to be as excited as I was when they drafted Colin Saunders in the third round a few years ago, but I'm not going to be disappointed. He's a little bit of a draft crush. Well, I, I hope, I hope you have that excitement once again, Todd. I'm rooting for your happiness. (laughs) Two other names I wanted to throw out there. Marcus Jones out of Houston. Um, Here's what I'd say about him. He does. He's only five, eight. He has, he doesn't have the size that, that, that the chiefs are looking for. I mean, maybe you could use him some in the slot. I don't know, but if they draft him, I think it's absolutely um, for his special teams value. Cause he has got ridiculous speed. Um, And you know, you, if you're going to give McCole Hardman Jr. a bigger role um, in the offense and you've lost Tyreek, who you used in select situations, um, you know, um, as a punt return specialist and, you know, and, and you feel like with eight picks, you've got the luxury of adding a guy who could be a difference maker in special teams. Um, you know, uh, we know that Dave Tobe has a significant amount of influence, more influence than a lot of special teams guys have on other NFL teams. Uh, Marcus Jones is a name that I think could sneaky, you know, if he slides the, the, uh, the third, fourth round, um, and, and the chiefs feel pretty good about what they got earlier in the draft. He's a sneaky name that I think could pop up there, not for his play at corner, but for his, in, for his elite special teams value. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I mean, if you're taking a special team or you ideally want to take him fifth, sixth, seventh round. So well, they don't have fifth, sixth round picks this year. So no, it's uh, not right now, Todd. Well, uh, yeah, as, as we record the podcast, they don't. One other guy I want to throw out there, Mario Goodrich, uh, Clemson, um, you know, local guy. Let's give him some love, um, even if he's not a great fit for the scheme. Yeah, you, you have more thoughts on that? <laughs> <laughs> sound like you had some thoughts. <laughs> no, I think he's, uh, I mean, I think he's, he's, uh, he does a good job in, in man coverage, I think, um, and processes zone fine, but um, he had underwhelming ball production. You know, like like the the athleticism doesn't necessarily match up with the production on the field, I don't think. Um, and and that's um, I I just I, I worry a little bit um, about his versatility. Um, you know, and and I think that he's he's better off in a uh in, in a zone scheme i mean i i think he can play press um just fine and i think he tackles well but um you know i i, I don't know i i think he has a ch- depending on where where he's where he where he, he's at i i don't i just i i don't know that he has value um in the you know, in the first three rounds, you know, if you still need a corner, you know, I guess fourth round would be the sweet spot for him. If I was going to pick him. Yeah. I just don't see him as a fit for the chiefs. So yeah, you know, I'm going to be on my board. <laughs> um, so he really good tackler and, and I, I he'll, he'll go somewhere and he has a chance to have a, a, a good career, I think, but all right. Anybody else you think worth uh, mentioning or are there any like seventh round type guys you're looking at? 
On to um, the safety side. <laughs> all right. All right. So, um, so I guess, uh, listen, there's, there's one guy you talk about versatility. Um, I know safety isn't necessarily like the, the biggest need, especially if they sign Justin Reed. But a lot of times when I've been going through, if the chiefs are still at 29 and 30, and if the wide receivers are picked over and if the defensive ends are picked over or, you know, or, or you've already gotten an, an Ebiketti, or maybe you got lucky and one of the guys you like at one of those two positions slid down, but the, the other positions picked over. Um, I, there's something about Daxton Hill and, and, and all the things he can do on the field that just make me think he's a, a Steve Spagnolo player. And we know that they got to pick a guy from Michigan at some point. So you might as well get it out of the way in the first round. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, with, uh, with Daxton Hill, look, I mean, he's got everything that the chiefs want in a safety. He can work in the slot. He can work over the middle. He can do too deep. He can do single high. I mean, he's got the hip turn, the acceleration, understanding the leverage to be, to be in correct position, no matter which position he's playing. Um, he announces his presence with authority in both the run and blitz. He lays the wood on tackles. Like he didn't mess around for his size. Like he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he still lays the wood. So, I mean, that's what I loved about him. Um, he's a dynamic player. He reads the routes with ease. And I mean, he can switch assignments on the fly. So that's, I, that's why the, so many people have him mocked to the Chiefs, just because he's like a, he's like a Swiss army knife of coverage. Um, so I think that's what people know that Steve Spagnuolo really likes. So, I mean, that's why he's at the top of the board yeah, for a lot it, of people. When, when I'm looking at, you know, when I'm looking at safeties that, that I want the chiefs to add, it's the versatility and the range that I'm looking for as much as anything. Um, and, and he's got it. You know, I, I think he can, you know, I, I think he can be, uh, um, uh, with, with his instincts, with his awareness, with his ability to, to cover in so many different ways. I think he can be a really valuable asset, um, to that team. I think he can, you can play him single high. Cause I think he can get from boundary to boundary, um, if he needs to, and you know, if you want to play Justin Reed, you know, uh, closer to the bottom. but I think you'd have a lot of versatility between Justin Reed and Daxon Hill, um, you know, and then you've still got Juan Thornhill there, um, you know, depending on how he continues to come back from that ACL tear a couple of years ago. But look, if the Chiefs take him in the first round, I, I'm not going to be disappointed because I think he's a guy who can make some plays and be a valuable piece for that defense. So uh, Kyle Hamilton's not going to be there. I think Daxon Hill's the second best safety in this draft. And I think there's a chance he's there at 2930. Um, and I think he can help the chiefs. Yep. Anybody, uh, anybody else in that, in that first round mix? I, I don't think there is, but I think there's some intriguing guys, second, third, fourth round that, that I, you know, um, you know, I, that's another guy. We talk about Damari Mathis. I think he's a guy who could be multiple there too and could help you out at safety some as well, which is another reason I liked him. But are there any other, you know, natural safeties that you think would be a good fit beyond the first round? Um, I mean, they, they may sneak in at the end of the first, but I think they're both going to end up being the second. Uh, obviously, uh, Jalen Pitry from Baylor plays like a madman. He flies around over the football field, makes plays all over it. He's got serious range, some of the best athletic ability I saw among secondary players. He's a fantastic blitzer, great in run support. And, I mean, he must be accounted for at all times on the football field from what I saw on tape. So if you have somebody like him around, he takes what Daniel Sorensen did and even some of what Tyron Matthew did 
and he, he's able to he, – he would be an upgrade over Sorensen significantly, and he'd be in Matthew's ballpark to a certain extent there to where long-term I think people would love with, it, with him. Uh, obviously, Lewis seen from Georgia. He's got the versatility to play strong safety. He can do two deep or box safety. He's got the speed to, to play all three spots. Um, he's got the attitude to lay the wood on anybody and the run supporter coming out over in the middle. Uh, if a receiver comes over the middle, Seen's going to take him out. I mean, he's a good blitzer, great tackler in open space. And, I mean, he's really good at picking up and passing off. So, I mean, that's another another aspect of it. Um, Kirby Joseph from Illinois. Uh, Joseph's more of a two-deep middle of the field or maybe even single high. I thought he had good clothes but not elite. Um, I thought he had quality range, especially if the field is split in half. I thought he, I thought he did really well with the range in that regard. Um, he, he's at his best when he's allowed to read, see the play and routes develop and then jump on him or adjust to him accordingly. Uh, he won't come, he won't come in out of control as a tackler, but you'd like him to be able to find that happy medium long-term between the speed and being under control. And then I think he's capable of making solid tackles, but he isn't going to announce his presence like the previous ones we mentioned. Um, Nick Cross from Maryland. Nick Cross has the athletic ability and range to be a good safety yeah. in this league for quite some time. He has some of the best combination of speed, acceleration, quick twitch, and fearlessness that I saw. He trusts his instincts and what he's reading. He, he, would, he would succeed at single high if he does it. Like, he can do too deep. I think he's a good blitzer. I think he's good in run support. And, I mean, he sees the routes really well. He jumps, you know, he, he times his jumps on the routes and really good and his blitzes the way he delays them perfectly so the offensive line's in position and then he just gets through there uh, those those are some of the unique traits i saw on him was the quick twitch the fearlessness the timing of his routes and the way he's able to see that because each player trying to find unique traits about them that separate them depending on what round they are and what they can add versatility wise to your team that you don't have um next guy on the list for me is going to be jt woods from baylor He's got a nose for the football. When, when he's playing single high or too deep, he just lets the routes develop in front of him, and he just pounces on him because he's got the athletic ability and speed to do it. I was really impressed with his athletic ability to close on defenders, how quickly he accelerated downhill to dislodge the ball from a receiver. Um, I thought, again, and when he's blitzing off the edge, man, that acceleration is just ridiculous. So I, I really liked what I saw from him. Uh, Vernon McKinley from Oregon jumps off the table with the speed and acceleration. He's able to close quickly. I thought McKinley tracked the ball really well and routinely made plays, forcing turnovers because of his IQ, his football IQ, his awareness. Um, what he lacks in size, he makes up for with his ball hawking skills and his attitude and mentality. And he's willing to come up and, and make the big hit, and he doesn't hesitate about it despite his size at times. So I was I, I liked what I saw there. Uh, Darlin Turner Yell from Oklahoma. He, he's got the athletic ability you want in a safety, both in a you know the ability to rotate his hips and run and close on a ball carrier or receiver. He looked most comfortable in zone where he can kind of keep the routes in front of him, kind of read and jump on him. But he's more than capable of helping him run support and lay in the wood when when given the chance. Um, next guy on my list ended up being uh, Smoke Monday from Auburn. Um, he's built like Sean Smith, but he plays with a little bit more physical attitude in the box. Um, Monday would, he would need, he would need to be more of a run support safety, but I thought he brought a physical presence with his tackling style and he, he just brings such upside as a four phase special teamer that he's going to be one more of those late round guys that I, I really, really, I, I had marked down. I'm like, yeah, there, there's a lot more problem. There's some, pro there's some promise there. What about guys like, uh, 
Brian Cook out of Cincinnati or uh, Tyson Anderson out of Toledo, Dane Belton out of Iowa. I mean, there's, you know, um, are, are there reasons why you wouldn't, why you don't, why, why you feel like guys wouldn't be a fit in this scheme as a safety? With Cook, I mean, he's a run support safety. He does have the size to get the tackling ability and coverage skills to kind of be a solid middle of the field or down in the box type of guy, but he just, he lacks the athletic ability to be a rangy free safety. His sideline to sideline speed leaves a lot to be desired when I was watching him. I mean, he, you know, and, and part of it is he just, he, he has to position himself closely in spot in a spot before the ball carrier receiver arrives to be able to kind of make a play on it or make a tackle on it. And he just, it seemed like there was a lot of players that were catching on him or getting, getting to him. And he was a sure tackler to where they wouldn't get any further, but they were always being able to make plays on him. So I was just like, that's not, that's not ideal. Um, and then you brought up what Anderson from Toledo. Yeah. I mean, he, there was a, you know, you, you talk about, you know, a guy that fills in Daniel Sorensen's role. He's, he's on the bigger side and, and, you know, seemed like he could be a fit, obviously not, you know, in the second or third round, but if you're, if you're looking fourth or, or, you know, like you said, if you add a pick in the fifth, sixth round, you know, I, he seemed like a guy who could have some intriguing op- options there. Yeah. I feel like he's going to be mismatched against running backs coming out of the, out of the flats there. I mean, he could be utilized against tight ends and he could do that. I mean, because of his size and kind of the speed he has to go with it, I, he could match up against tight ends. I mean, he'll fight through the blocks and keeps good position. Um, but he just, he didn't, the, I just didn't see enough versatility there that I'm like, I, I want to invest a high, what I consider to be a high pick, but most people consider day three. He's, he's definitely a tweener, but as much as the chiefs, you know, play nickel and stuff like that, or, or you know, have those sub packages in, um, you know, the thing is though, I mean, you look at a guy like a Dorian O'Daniel, he never found a role, uh, with the team, you know, and he had some of the same physical traits. So, you know, but, you know, maybe Tyson Anderson is a little bit of an, uh, enough of an upgrade that, that he would be able to fill that role. Yeah, we'll see. Um, next one on the list for me was Corker from Kentucky. I thought he brought a physical presence. Again, another guy that really likes to uh, play the wood and run support. Um, I thought he's a really instinctive football player that kind of needs to find the system that can teach him the finer points of coverage, which the Chiefs can do. Um, I, again, he, he brings a physical presence on special teams. And until he can improve his coverage skills, like, you know, kind of the timing of when to time his quarter turn and go with the receiver, he's off a little bit on that. And just how to defend the vertical routes one-on-one better from a leverage perspective and just being more comfortable with it. I, I, I think that he's kind of more of a special teamer you're hoping to develop. And like you talked about earlier, uh, Dane Belton from Iowa, I mean, that's a guy that he's got the physical presence as a blitzer. He's good in run support. I thought he shined kind of more in the box and it's kind of a zone run support thing. So, I mean, that that could maybe potentially be a late round guy. The final guy for me is Reed Blankenship from uh, middle Tennessee. I thought he was a really good open field tackler. I thought he processed routes and kind of uh, runs the, the backfield quickly. And I, I, I think he'll need to start on special teams, but there was, there was a lot of promising uh, ability there to develop late. Yeah. I mean, bottom line, I, there's been a lot of talk about how defensive end and wide receiver, there's a lot of depth in this draft, but when you look at, or at least, you know, when I look, when you look at you know, the safeties, I mean, I think there's, 
you know, four or five intriguing guys, you know, that are top 50 ish type prospects in this draft. And then you go down later, Nick cross, you know, like you said, he's a guy, probably a third round target, I would say, um, you know, I mean, I, I think 62 is probably too early for him, but I think 94 to one Oh three is, is, uh, you know, I, I could absolutely see a guy like a Nick cross going in that range. Um, and, and I think, I think he can be a, a, a player in the league for, for a long time. So I think there's some depth built in, you know, at the corner and at the safety spot in this draft as well. I really think when you think about the positions, the chiefs need the most help at this draft it, it matches up. Well, this is, a, this is a good draft for the chiefs to have a lot of early round picks. in. I think, because I think they can address a lot of needs and a lot and, from a long-term perspective, um, you know, as long as guys stay healthy um, and stay committed, you know, as they move into the NFL. Yeah, no, this is the draft. If you hit it right, you set yourself up to where you're not having to spend a ton in free agency. If you do it right this year and, again, can situate yourself next year, you're, you're in a really good roster-building position for quite some time for like a four- or five-year window. And, and look, it's always tricky because you never know what's going to happen, what kind of moves are going to be made in front of you or what moves the chiefs may make, um, you know, when you're looking at 29, 30, stuff like that. But I think they're going to have lots of, of intriguing options, um, you know, across the board. And it doesn't always work out that way. I mean, you can have, um, you know, I mean, I, you know, think back to when the chiefs had the number one overall pick and, and no knock on Eric Fisher, but, um, you know, you weren't hoping for, uh, you know, a small school left tackle to be your number one overall pick, um, in the draft. I mean, you, you know, I mean, I think what Andrew Luck went the, the year before and, you know, you had Jadavian Clowney go the year after and, and, uh, you know, both those guys were much, you know, uh, you know, much higher touted prospects coming out of college than Eric Fisher was, but you know, that's where the chiefs ended up picking. And, you know, and, and that's just the hand they were dealt. They were a little unfortunate that year that they, you know, that it wasn't the Andrew Luck draft that, you know, um, or, you know, maybe given the fact that he retired early, maybe they were very fortunate that, they, that it wasn't uh, that draft. But I think this is a, a, the Chiefs are in a great position with all the draft capital they have. Um, and I, one thing I want to, you know, look, I've gone back and forth on this, um, do the chiefs move up and try to get a player? They really covet because they've got all these picks or when you're sitting there at 29 30, if the wide receivers and the defensive ends are picked over, but you think there's a lot of value in that, in that second round range with, with some of the positions you covet, do you maybe move back if a team wants to come up to get that fifth year option on a quarterback, whether it's a team that really likes Desmond Ritter. And let's say they think Detroit's going to take him at 32 Maybe somebody wants to come up and move into that spot. There's been a lot of focus on the Chiefs maybe moving up for a Jermaine Johnson or Jamison Williams especially. Do you think it's even possible, though, that the Chiefs move down and collect even more picks at some point? I think it just depends on how the board's shaking out whenever they get to their 29th and 30th pick because I think they'll take whoever they want at 29. And then, you know, at 30, if they if – they, if they don't feel, depending on what the offer is and what it may be, if it's if it's a high second round pick, or you know if there's somebody you wants to give even more than that, then I, th I think they would entertain it and be open to it. Um, personally, I, I do, but I, I think 
I don't, I don't think they even know until that time comes at that moment to be like, Hey, okay. So these dudes are on the board. We can get this and this at this spot. So it'll, uh, I don't know. It's that's the mystery of the draft, and that's why it's so intriguing because you just nobody knows till they see how the board falls. It usually, I feel like usually there's a little more certainty with um what you're going to see from the draft. Like there was no mystery last year that you know with who the top three picks were going to be, right? Like we knew that it was going to be Trevor Lawrence, it was going to be Zach Wilson, it was going to be Trey Lance. Um, you know, despite some of the smoke about that number three pick. I mean, I, I think most people, you know, had that pretty well diagnosed. And then, you know, there wasn't a lot of mystery, you know, even in the top 10. And a lot of years it's that way. You have a pretty good sense for how that that top 10, sometimes even that top 15-ish picks are going to go. I don't think, I mean, I, I don't think there's, a, this is one of the most unsettled drafts I can remember in terms of, um just not having a sense for how that board's going to fall. Do you think that that makes the chiefs excited or makes them pretty nervous? Cause uh, I know when I do mock draft simulators and stuff like that, there are times that I, I I'm just bitterly disappointed with how everything fell and and what's left at 29 30. And then there's other times I'm like, this is incredible. You know, like I've got like, you know, there's like five guys I'd like to pick here and only two, two picks. What are, what's going on? I think it just, I think it just comes down to when they're stacking their board, what, which I think they're doing right now. Um, but I think when it comes down to their board, they're like, what are, how do they have them grouped together? Like, you know, is this guy grouped at this spot? Is it, you know, or how far is it? How far does the drop off begin at the next position? So I, it's just, you know, like the, the thing is at the end of the day, as, as I say with every single NFL draft the, you know, the eyes in the beholder. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, if the person can fit your system and if they're going to become a starter, even more than that, it, it really doesn't matter what anybody ends up saying. Cause their mouths are going to be shut three years later. You know I mean? There was a time when people were bashing that the chiefs drafted Tyreek Hill and just how terrible of a pick that was because of the off the field concerns. And they went and took him and then guess what? They got almost an entire draft because of him, you know, almost, you know, six years later, basically. So, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's, you know, that's, that just kind of is what it is. And I mean, the fact that they could get Mahomes for the price that they did, all that they had to get, how little they had to give up for a guy to turn their franchise around like that. And how there wasn't really, I, I know it was two first round, you know, and it was two first round picks and they swap positions for one and, and the third and everything. I get all that, but for what he's done for that franchise and the hope he's given to a fan base like that, that was worth it, you know, 12 times over. So, or even more. So that's why I just, you know, like I, I know people are going to be disappointed because I remember people used to, whenever I put my board out and they'd be like, why don't you have Noah Spence on this board? And I'm like, he can't turn. Like he's, you know, he's like this old riding lawnmower I have. It's a wide turn. It's not sharp. It's not quick. It's not dynamic. And guess right, what? Like, Noah Spence isn't setting the league on fire still. You think like, you're going to make the turn and then, you like ram the wheel into the fence every time. And it's certainly like, oh, possible. I make the turn. <laughs> certainly possible. And like, you know, I remember whenever people were coming at me for the receiver, Hakeem Butler, how could I not do it? Cause he's got such great size. Guess what? He's not setting the world fire either. And I, I used to get a ton of guff for not having McCole Hardman on my board. And I'm like, no, cause they need a guy who can get the, the who can make an impact quicker. Cause at the time you didn't know Tyreek Hill's status because of the off the field issue that was going on at that time. So you know, I mean, when I had Marquise Brown mocked 
to the Chiefs because he fit similar to what Tyreek was, a dynamic receiver. They ended up trading it away for Frank Clark. But, you know, like it's just – I'm just saying, like, I mean, it, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, it, it's like this – there's only – there's a certain amount of players that are going to be successful in this league. Like, you know, if you – I don't have the exact numbers broken down, but I guarantee if you go through draft by draft and study it and look over it, there's only a handful of guys that are actually going to make a difference in the league, despite everybody believing that the top each top 30 guy that's selected by their team is going to be that difference maker. There's only going to be a certain amount that are going to do it. There's going to be some guys that are going to be journeymen. They're going to travel around, and there's going to be some hidden gems that are going to show up in the third, fourth, and maybe even fifth round. So, you know, I remember when DK Metcalf came out, the big knock on him was that he couldn't run a route tree. Look at him now. People are clamoring for their team to trade for him. So, you know, it just – it's just uh, how well can you project a player? Are you comfortable with what you, uh, with what, how you stack your board? And do you have a coaching staff that can develop them? Those are all the things that end up mattering at the end of the day. And if you do it correctly, and if you are very good at your job, the noise that day doesn't matter because the noise, whenever you're holding Lombardi trophy with the parade is all that matters. So that's at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. So this is a big moment for the chiefs to be able to do that so that they can keep their crown and they can stay on their throne for the next five to six years while Mahomes takes this next phase of his career. And for the record, for all the talk about how great the AFC is and stuff like that, the only head coach quarterback combination uh, among that group that has been to multiple Super Bowls and has won a Lombardi trophy is Mahomes and Reed. So, but, you know, we get to see a competition coming up here a lot quicker, though between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. It's going to be a little bit different type of competition coming up in June. Listen, I'm looking forward to that one. They're the underdogs to Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady in this thing. And I get that, you know, like golf is a, a leisure sport and, a, a, you know, and, you know, the, you know, it's a lifetime sport, but I mean, I got to think uh, that Patrick and Josh have an advantage bombing that out there. I mean, do they know something about Josh Allen's short game that I don't know? Because I feel like Patrick's going to be able to hold the zone in this thing. I just kind of had, I think people probably have this vision of like Mahomes and Josh Allen are just going to be like happy Gilmore. <laughs> like they're just going <laughs> to be crushing it. And Please, then like, if that happens, I, I will be so excited. A lot of people will, including Charles Barkley. He's probably going to be betting on it while he's in another golf cart, just talking to him uh, over, you know, on a microphone nearby. Oh, I, I, but I enjoy, I enjoy that they're doing that. Like not just this year, but the past couple of years when they've done it, because I know it started because of COVID and people just ate that up because they were just looking for sports to have on and new, fresh content. So I've appreciated that kept that going. I've really, I've really enjoyed that. And I'm, I'm excited to see Mahomes and Allen with Rogers and Brady. I'm just curious to see what type of trash talk Rogers and Brady are going to have. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be great. You know what I like about it? Even better though, I, I they've shortened it this year, so they're not going to go all eighteen holes, um, so it won't get quite as draggy. Um, so I think, I think that'll add to the entertain the entertainment value of of the whole thing. Um, but like, are you taking? I mean, you know, uh, I know you like to be reckless and you know and hug people during a pandemic and you know gamble away your money. Are you are you laying on on Mahomes and Allen as the underdogs here? I don't even know what that means right now, Todd. <laughs> that means that means would you bet on Mahomes and Allen to win, even though Vegas has them as underdogs? I have no idea how much money can I make off this. Uh, I don't know what the odds are currently. I think I saw them. You know, I mean, I think you know 
you could make like 140 for every hundred dollars you put down. Yeah. Am I going to make more than I will off uh, my Powerball ticket? Uh, no, well, no, not unless you put down like, you know, 200 million. <laughs> Do I'm you have then. $200 million to bet? I'm out, Todd. <laughs> I'm out then. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you no, I mean, yeah, you probably would make more because I mean, are we talking a winning guaranteed winning Powerball ticket? Because otherwise, yes, you'd probably make more betting on Mahomes and Allen than you would on winning the Powerball. Look, Todd, you're the one throwing out a whole bunch of hypotheticals at me. All I know is I go to the gas station twice a week, get some Powerball tickets whenever it's over a certain amount of number. I call it investing in my 401k. People call it, other people tell me that I'm wasting my money. But, you know, that's, you know, for me, it's a, you know, it's a fun little investment. Well, and when you win, you get to laugh in all those faces, uh, all those people's faces. Just like some people will in the draft when they make their selections <laughs> next week. <laughs> all right. Well, with that, um, I, uh, I think that's it. I mean, I got nothing else. Yeah. And just so you guys have a little teaser, Todd and I are going to do a mock draft podcast before the draft next week. So that one will come out early next week. And Todd and I have some mock drafts that'll be coming out that you can see before the, uh, chiefs in NFL make all their selections, uh, on Thursday, April 20, I want to say 28. 28. Ah, yeah. 28. Yeah. So yeah, you guys can, uh, um, screenshot it, mock us for it later. And, uh, you know, um, you know, be sure to be sure to tweet at Nick all Thursday about who they're getting to replace Ben Neiman and Daniel Sorensen. Cause he loves Ben Neiman and Daniel Sorensen questions. And I don't want him to be short of any this year. Todd, all I know is it's all I know is that it's just going to be another Jacobs draft week. <laughs> yeah. Nerd Christmas is, is less than a week away. So, whoa, why are you going to be rude and hateful? I mean, that that's, I mean, that's, that's what it is, right? Nerd Christmas. I mean, I don't call it that. I just call it draft weekend. Right. We're, we're saying the same thing. Nope. <laughs> <We're not. laughs> All right. Well, I can't care. even look at you right now. <laughs> okay. Well, then we, we, then we can just end this. I bid you have... adieu, Todd. I bid you adieu. We'll end this and you don't have to. Take care, kids. <laughs>